Good morning. Welcome to MRCC. Hey, can we just celebrate the worship team for a second? Yeah. They do an amazing job every morning, or not every morning, but every Sunday they're here super early while I'm still in bed, and it's wonderful. Uh, if I'm being honest, that was a complete stall tactic because I needed Brent to get up here real quick. I made it. I'm here. He did. Uh, well, good morning. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here at MRCC. Yep, and my name is Brent. I am our online campus and media pastor here. And uh, we're just here to give a few announcements. Starting off with tomorrow is Sisters of Strength. It is going to be at 6.30 p.m. in the new building, so the new kids area. Um, I stand corrected. I learned this in first service. This will be the second time that the ladies are in there. This past Monday, it was the first time that the guys were in there. And we had record-setting numbers of 95 guys. Yeah. So, ladies, beat that. Um, if you want to pad your numbers a little, I'm willing to try no, and pull double no, duty. No, no, no. I would say that we will see you there, but uh, we will not be there. We will not be there. No, no. This no. Is, no. Uh, but, again, it is tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a blast. I can't believe you did that. I'm, I'm not... sorry. It was a spur of the moment thing. I'm sorry for all of you who had to witness that. Um, that was not my intention. So you can watch videos of kittens later to purge your eyes if you need to. Um, something else to put on your radar that's coming up. We're this never going to be allowed weekend. to do announcements again. No, that's it for us. It's been nice, you guys. Uh, this coming weekend, so Friday and Saturday, is our KidsCon event. It's been coming up. You might have heard us talking about it. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be chaos of the best variety. Uh, if you've got kiddos or if you want to go and serve and you want to know what it's like to be uh, a leader in our kids' ministry, our children's ministry, that's a fantastic place to get started. You can register online at mrccnow.org. I think registrations are open until Wednesday. Uh, they'll close on Wednesday. So definitely want to do that. And another thing is we uh, at MRCC here, we never want finances to be uh, the reason why your kid doesn't go to an event or to a camp. So if that is something that, that is a hurdle for you, uh, just reach out to, to Pastor Michelle or Pastor Allison. They would love uh, to help walk you through that and make sure that, that we can help. We are blessed because of all of uh, your faithful giving. So it's the reason why we can do things like that. Yeah. And uh, coming up uh, in this next season here at MRCC, nothing is changing, but we're just really excited for it. And uh, a way to be a part of that is to just join a team. And so uh, I'll be out in the foyer, um, and I can answer any questions. We have, you know, teams for media. We have worship. We have the kids team, Espresso. Uh, the best team out there is the youth team. And so you can join that if you think that you can hack it. But um, I just want to invite you uh, to join a team. And if you, don't want, if you know exactly where you want to go, all you have to do is take your phone out, fill out the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and that is an amazing opportunity to just get connected here a little bit more at MRCC. Also, if it's your first time here or first couple times, uh, you can also fill that out and just find out more about what is going on here. If you want to open your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Yeah, Brent, see me on Monday, if you would. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thanks, fellas. They do a great job. You know, they, they do a great job of bringing announcements. Anyway, we can do that. Good to see you this morning, friends. Welcome to third service here at MRCC. It's great to be with you. Several people again asked me about my shoulder. Stop asking me about my shoulder. It's healing, all right? I'm getting better. It's all good, but thank you for your care and for your prayers. It means a lot. 
This morning is, is kind of a special morning on our annual church calendar, and so I'm going to talk about why in just a few minutes, but you probably saw some of the tables in the foyer. There's a reason they're out there this morning, so I look forward to sharing that with you. Right now, raise your hand if you're with me in that you have absolutely no interest in watching the Chiefs and the 49ers again in the Super Bowl. Raise your hand, right? I mean, Mike... There are things that cause me to ask, why God? And that was one of them this year. I don't want to watch them again. So anyway, Matthew chapter 25. You'll, you'll remember, friends, that uh, we are in a, a teaching series called Set Apart. We've got a couple more weeks to go. And, and what it's about is the fact that God has called us, uh, Christ followers, Christians, to be different on purpose than much of the world around us in some very specific ways. And we've been letting the Lord teach us about that these last few weeks. For example, we heard at the beginning that uh, Jesus said, we are a people who are always looking forward. We know that he's gone ahead to prepare a place for us at the Father's house, and that's where our story is going. That's where our road leads. And so because of that, we may look back to celebrate what God has done and sing of his faithfulness, but our whole attitude is forward-faced. We are looking forward, and not all, not all the world is. And so we're to be different in that way. And then we heard the Lord talk to us about the fact that, that we are to be different in that we understand that sexuality can bring either slavery or freedom. And so we have a different measure of what is good and healthy when it comes to our sexuality. It's a powerful part of our lives, and we, we have a, his message about what's right and wrong in that arena. It's different and much of the culture in the world around us. And then the third week, we heard Jesus teach us that, hey, there may be some truth in other faiths. All faiths have some truth in it, but the whole truth is only found in Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me, that he is the revelation of God, and that there's one way to heaven, one way to eternal life and salvation. And then last week, we talked about the fact that as believers... The Bible teaches us that our citizenship, our ultimate identity and belonging, our citizenship is in heaven, and that we serve here in an earthly country as emissaries sent from heaven. So our patriotism begins with the kingdom of God, and we know that it's only when we serve Jesus first that we're able to be a blessing to our country. And then this morning, God wants to take us into another way in which we are different, and that's this. We understand, we know, we are being taught that as followers of Jesus, we are called to meet God in the poor and the needy and people in crisis. We are people who are so sure that God is providing us, for us, that we are set free in our hearts to give and help the poor and the needy and people in crisis. That part of our journey on life, part of our mission in life, is to help those who need help. And that we can do that because we are set free to not fear for ourselves. And we're going to hear Jesus teach us about that a little bit this morning. But first, um, you know, everybody loves to laugh. And we don't know why. It's not a thing we can analyze or break down. But when we laugh, it enables us to relax and to learn. And so this morning, I love this part of the year. Every year, the Chicago Tribune, the newspaper in Chicago, uh, publishes a list of the best new jokes from the preceding year. And so they published them this last week, and I thought I'd share a few of those with you. The best new jokes of 2023. For example, 
my new SUV has a button that says rear wiper, and frankly, I'm afraid to push it. All right? Maybe your car has one of those? Yeah, 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 yeah. How about this? It's coming home to some of us a little late there. But anyway, I got a call from a scammer who said, I've got all your passwords. So I said, great, let me get a pencil so I can write them down, because I don't know what they are, you know. Uh, yeah. How about this? I got on the Weight Watchers website, and they asked me if I accept cookies. Is that a trick question? I mean, why do you think I'm here? Why am I here? Yeah. This is for those of you who love a certain kind of humor. The judge at the International Docks and Dogs Show said, there are no losers here today, only wieners. <laughs> no shame. For the intellectuals among us, for the academics among us, Ego and super ego walked into a bar, and the bartender said, I'm going to need to see some ID. Yeah, a few of you get it, right? Yeah, okay, that's all right. If you don't get it, you're not an intellectual. That's just how it is, right? Just go with that. How about this? If I'm ever on life support, just unplug me and plug me back again. It works for everything else. See if that works, you know, for resuscitating me. A couple more. My doctor handed me a cup and said, urinate. So I said, thanks. My wife says I'm a six or seven at best. You know, but, uh, and one more. My grandma says she's in her twilight years, which is great because I love those movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you can't analyze laughter. You can't analyze a sense of humor. It's fundamental to who we are. It's how we're made. And, and we feel the difference when we laugh. Well, in the same way. In the same way, church, hear me now. God says, Jesus teaches us, that you and me are made from the soul up to help people who are in need. That that is what brings us satisfaction and joy. That we are created for that purpose. And that we most experience God when we are helping someone who is in need or who is in crisis. When we're helping someone who, who, you know, to use the New Testament words, are, are poor or needy. The, the Bible says that we actually experience God when we do that. We're going to hear Jesus tell a dramatic, sobering, solemn story about that reality. And then we're going to understand one of the ways in which we experience God when we give ourselves. When we give what we have, our time, our treasure, whatever it is, to help those who are in crisis, who are in need, who are poor. Here's what the Bible tells us. James chapter 1, verse 27. This is, uh, for Rhonda and I, our life verse. We chose this verse in 1985 when we were new believers to, to become our life verse. The Bible says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after widows and orphans in their distress. Widows and orphans not being like categories, but a representative of all those in need. To look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in fact, it's amazing because one of the ways we do that is by involve, keeping from being polluted is by involving ourselves with those in need. And so God wants to talk to us about that this morning and how we're to be different than the world around us. The world around us says, more for me, more for me. How can I get more? We say, who can I help with the little or the much that I have? Who can I help? How can I help? So, so let's listen to Jesus teach us about this in Matthew chapter 25, uh, like the guys mentioned just a moment ago. Jesus told a riveting story in Matthew 25 about 
Judgment Day. About the end, of, not that one, all right, but a re, the real Judgment Day. And here's what he said. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. In other words, what's, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, I know a lot of the world says there won't be a judgment, but the truth is there will be. We don't get to the end of our lives and everybody goes to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus says there's a judgment first. We don't get to the end of our lives and that's the end of our story. No, no, no. We move into the next part of our story, which has to do with going before God face to face, each of us as an individual. And, and that's a sobering thing to realize. Jesus uses that to set the stage for what's about to come. If you think there won't be a judgment day, all I can say is this. Jesus says there will be. Jesus says that's coming. And having kind of set the stage, he says this. And the king, when he has everybody in front of him, the son of man, he will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. So he, he's got the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Don't get hung up on species, all right? He's just using them as word pictures, as symbols. So he says to the sheep on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, and take or receive your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. We talked about that at the beginning of the series. He says, enter in. It's yours. It's your reward. Here it is. And why? He tells us why. For I was hungry. Jesus is speaking, the son of man. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you, Greg, gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, what's startling about this story is that the king, the judge, says to those on his right, those being judged, the sheep, he says, thank you for taking care of me. You have, during your life, gone out of your way to take care of me. And hearing this, the people go, wait, I'm, I'm puzzled. The scripture says the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothing? It's a reasonable question. Lord, we, we never saw you. You were resurrected and in, up in heaven and with us by your spirit. And so we never saw you physically. We never fed you, clothed you, gave you drink. And the king will say, catch this, friends. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. In other words, Jesus is teaching us that when we encounter the poor, the needy, those in crisis, he wants us to understand that in them, we have an opportunity to meet, to serve, to love, 
to care for him. Jesus says, I am present to you, Greg, in the poor and needy people in your life. You will experience me as you serve them. That is radically different thinking than much of our world. And what the Lord is saying is that we need to understand that when we see people in need, when we see the poor, those in crisis, we have an opportunity to encounter God through them. Wow. Now, the other side of this equation is that what Jesus is saying is that most people don't recognize that the poor and the needy are God made present to us in the sense of this parable. We don't recognize that that's an opportunity to experience him. We just don't recognize it. You know, when I think about recognizing somebody, my mind goes back to when I, I graduated from, from boot camp in the Marine Corps, right? So I leave home right after high school. I go down. I spent three and a half months in San Diego at boot camp. And at the end of that, my parents come down from Oregon where we lived. My mom, my dad, my two sisters, they come down to see graduation, right? And, you know, I haven't seen them for three and a half months. My life has undergone a lot of changes. I remember standing on the third floor of our barracks, think of a dormitory, big windows looking out over the parade deck where we were going to graduate. And we were all at the windows watching our families arrive. Oh, that's my mom. That's my dad. So I'm pointing them out to each other, you know. And we all understand, have exact same haircut, dress in the exact same clothes, stand and look the same. We look like, you know, a bunch of clones up there. But we're looking down at them. Oh, there's my mom. There's my dad. And and then we knew that there was going to be a moment when we would take our, our sea bags full of all of our stuff, the gear, and we were going to take them home and place them right in front of that chain link fence where all the families were. And the reason we were going to do that was because then we were going to go to graduation. And after, as soon as they pronounced us graduated, we got to go grab our gear and go home with our families for some leave, right? So it's kind of exciting. So I remember when the bell rang and I'm taking my sea bag down and I'm thinking to myself, my parents are going to see me for the first time, right, after three and a half months. And it's all these families along the fence. They're all looking at all of us. And I remember spotting my mom and dad and my sisters, and I walked straight towards them, straight towards them, stopped right in front of them. And my mom looked me right in the eye with the blankest look I've ever seen on her face. My dad looked at me and kept looking. My sisters looked at me. Well, they always do that. They, you know, kept moving right past me. But they didn't recognize me at all. I remember setting my bag down and going, oh, my goodness, <laughs> and turned around and walked away. You know, you change, your posture changes, your, your clothes, your haircut, your facial expression, all this kind of stuff had changed so much so that my own mom didn't recognize me. And I tell that story because God says sometimes we're like that. We see the poor, we see the needy, we see people in crisis, and we don't see God offering himself to us. But he wants us to recognize him in them. You know, Jesus goes on in this story to flip the story the other way around. He says, then he says to the goats, the people on his left, he says, uh, you didn't care for me. You didn't feed me, clothe me, give me drink, whatever. Depart from me, wicked doers, evil doers. And they say the same thing. When did, we didn't, if we'd have known it was you, in other words, they were people who in their own minds thought, hey, we're, we're spiritual people, we're religious people, we're devoted people. If we'd have known it was you, God, we would have done something. And in the story, Jesus is saying, well, if you don't recognize me in them, then you don't know me. That's challenging. That's penetrating. That causes me to step back and go, oh, my goodness. 
Because sometimes we fall into this habit of thinking that the only way we experience God is in worship or Bible study or volunteering or something like that when God says that maybe most deeply we experience him when we help people in need. What we tend to do instead is put people into categories. We tend to stereotype them. We tend to say, hey, if you're in need, it's your own fault. You got yourself there as if that's the issue. And, and, and we tend to sort of brand people and look right past them, people in need, instead of saying, wow, that's God over there. That's Jesus over there needing my help. What can I do? How can I help? Is there a way for me to help? Instead, we stereotype and and we brand people, and Jesus is saying that's actually, Greg, a dangerous thing for you to do. And when I think of branding, I think of the story of a New York family who bought a ranch out west in Wyoming, and they were going to move from the east coast to this ranch and raise cattle. It was a dream. The whole family embraced it. And so they moved, and about a year later, some old friends came to visit them, and during the visit, the subject came up, and their friends said, hey, did you come up with a name for your ranch? I know you were trying to think of a name before you left, but I don't see a name. Did you, did you come up with a name for your ranch? And the dad said, well, you know, my idea was to call it the Bar J Ranch to incorporate their last name. But he said, my wife, she wanted to call it the Susie Q Ranch. She thought it was cute. One of my teenage sons wanted to call it the Flying W. And my teenage daughter wanted to call it the Lazy J Ranch. So... We ended up compromising and calling it the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lacey J Ranch, too big to put on a sign. So the friend said, oh, okay, well, I thought you were going to raise cattle. I don't see any. And dad said, well, none of them survived the branding. <laughs> you know, it's too much of a name to put on them, right? I have no shame. I will not apologize. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes God's presence in our lives is killed by the branding, right? We say, ah, that's, I want to go over here. I want to do something else to find God. And God says, Greg, I'm present to you in the poor and the needy. And when you serve them, when you help people in crisis, you're helping me or not helping me. And it is a challenging thing to realize. But there's a reason why it's so important beyond just the challenge. You see, when we talk about being different, our Lord calls us to be the people who are so unafraid for ourselves that we're free to give our time or our treasure to help others who are in need, that we have that freedom, that we demonstrate that freedom because we're so sure of God's providing for us. A lot of times we say, I don't have time, I don't have treasure to give, and that's because we're afraid for ourselves. But we're called to be the kind of people who know better, who because we've put our trust in Jesus' promise, we're free to take the time to share our treasure. We know that Jesus has taught us, as he did in Matthew chapter 6, and given us a very specific promise. Catch this. This is the midpoint. The Lord said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? He's talking to his disciples. He says, for the pagans, and by the way, that word pagan isn't a put down. It just means people who don't know God as Father, people who don't know God as Savior. He says, the pagans run after all those things. Why? They're afraid. They're scared. They live in fear. He says, the pagans run after all these things, 
But your heavenly Father knows you need these things. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is saying that the Father is saying to us, hey, seek first righteousness. Seek to do what I made you to do, what I created you to do, which is take care of and help each other. And as you give yourself to that, I'll make sure you have what you need. Seek first his righteousness and his kingdom, his rule in your life, and then all these other things will be added to you as well. We know that. And so instead of running first after what we think we need, food, clothing, etc., we go first after his righteousness, knowing that as we do that, God will meet us and provide for us. And so what, what God wants to do through the poor in our lives is enable us to experience him in them, and then also enable us to discover that when we put his things first, he will always provide for us. There's a great story in the Old Testament, one of the wilder stories in the Old Testament that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And let me lay the context for you real quick. Israel has gone far astray. Uh, she has a wicked king named Ahab, and, and uh, Elijah the prophet has been telling him, hey, this is a bad road you're on. You need to turn around. You need to rethink all this. And he's confronted Ahab on several occasions. The things begin to escalate. And then finally, Elijah pronounces God's judgment on Israel in a very specific way. Here's what the scripture says. Uh, Elijah is speaking to Ahab, King Ahab, and he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, 1 Kings 17, 1, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years. In other words, the land is going to enter into drought and the famine that comes with it. God's judgment is coming on the land to bring repentance. God says to Ahab, your life is about you and me, not just you and you and you and your neighbors. And so judgment has come on Israel. The point is to bring repentance, but... You can imagine what might go through Elijah's head in that moment. Hey, why do all the rest of us have to go through drought and famine just to get to Ahab? But God knows that's what he's thinking, and so he has a plan for Elijah. Verse 5 tells us that he says to Elijah, Go and hide in the Kerith ravine, and the ravens will bring you bread and meat, and you'll be able to drink from the brook in that ravine. Now see, Here's the point at which it gets a little interesting, because if I'm Elijah, I'm saying, really, ravens are coming and drop food in my mouth? Is there another option here? You know, DoorDash, Amazon, Biz Delivery, can we do something else here? But God says, I'm going to take care of you in this. And we think, well, that's the end of the story. No, that's the beginning of the story. Because the scripture says, Elijah goes to that ravine, God takes care of him for a while. And then the Bible says sometime later, verse 7, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, this is not the way that Elijah would have written the script, okay? Can we just deal with Ahab, leave me alone, I'll hang out at the 7-Eleven and get the good hot dogs and all that stuff. You take care of Elijah. But no, God walks him through this journey and there's a purpose to it. And the reason I want to call our attention to that is, friends, this is kind of how your life and mine sometimes goes as we walk with God. You know, he makes us a promise. We begin to experience it. But then, wait a minute, the brook he gave me has run out. The ravens he gave me are all dying from famine. And now, what's next? And where are we going with this? And it, it gets weirder still. 
because the story tells us in verse 9 that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, go to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Oh, great. Elijah's thinking, you know, she's a, she's a doomsday prepper. She's got a bunker downstairs that's full of food, right? So everybody else is famining, and she's got some, so I'm going to go see her. I'm, God, I like this plan now. This is, this is better than the raven thing, actually. This stuff is all homogenized and hurt, sealed. and all. So he, he goes to see her, but when he gets there, it's not what he expects. There's a reason to all this. We're circling back. When he gets there, she says, I don't have any bread. <laughs> I got barely more than you do. She says, what I've got is a handful of flour in a jar and a little jug of oil. And what I'm actually doing is gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. What's going through Elijah's head now? Is there another widow in Zarephath that, you know, your neighbor, do you know somebody in the next dorm, you know, whatever? God, why would you send me to her? Sometimes we find ourselves in that kind of situation. God, why have you led me here to this? This isn't what I was planning. This isn't what I was hoping for. And then Elijah says something to her that's weirder still. I mean, if it's me and I see that she's on her last meal, I'm going to say, man, take care of yourself. I'll just go on a fast, see if I can get some ketoacidosis going and heal my body, right? But Elijah doesn't say that. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. God says through Elijah, ma'am, God's giving you a promise. Take the little you have and share it and I'll make sure your jug and your jar never run out. And then she had a choice to make, just like we do. Jesus gives us a promise. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we have to make a choice. Am I going to share what I have? Even though it seems so little? The story goes on to say that the widow did exactly that. She went away, did as Elijah had told her, and lo and behold, God did a miracle. There was food every day for Elijah and the woman and the family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Every day she made a meal from the last of what was left. She went to sleep thinking, I've shared the little I have, and now we're out. And every morning, just like with the manna in the wilderness, every morning, the jar, somehow, the jar and the jug were renewed. And it's beautiful because at the end of the story, she says, now I know that the word of the Lord is the truth. So what's happening here? God, through Elijah, is teaching this woman that when we share what we have with those in need, he promises to make ends meet. He promises to make our ends meet. It's the same thing Jesus was teaching. Not only will we experience God when we involve ourselves with the poor and needy, but we will learn the faith that enables us to continue to share because we know God is our provider. And that's the point of the whole story. That's where the whole thing is going the whole time. That's what God wants us to grasp and understand. Here's a heavy thought, and we're almost done. What if you and me, 
need to minister to the poor and needy more than they need us to minister to them? What if our faith, our experience of God, our souls, our life's joy depends on it more than even meeting their needs? Certainly meeting their needs is part of it, but what if we need to do it more than they need to have it done? See, this is how we're made, God says. So often I hear people say, I just want more of God. And, and then they devise all sorts of ways to try and manufacture more of God in their life. When he says, I'm right down the street from you. I'm right across the hallway at work. I'm at the job site. I'm at school. I'm in those near you who need you. And if you'll share with them, you'll discover me. You'll experience me. See, what God is doing in all this is shaping our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, what he's doing is trying to teach us joy because it's more blessed to give than receive, Jesus said in Acts chapter 20. It's when we discover these things that our ability to experience him multiplies, expands, and then we discover a way of life that's not only fear-free, we're not worrying about ourselves, but is touched with joy because we see ourselves... Caring for others. Can you imagine? We're almost done. Can you imagine? What if the whole world next week got together and said, let's every nation on earth work together to make sure everybody is fed? The whole world did that. How would our world change? In the same way, when you start that little revolution in your own life, in your own heart, you begin to experience that change, that presence of God. And that's what the Lord once for us because he doesn't want us to go through life not recognizing him he wants us to know that he is near to every one of us you know when it comes to recognizing people i love uh, the story about uh, one of our former presidents george w bush he was traveling around the country making stops uh, public pr stops photo ops he stopped at a nursing home in a small town and of course big entourage secret service lots of reporters and so on and they're going through this nursing home and of course it's a big deal a lot of chaos everybody's paying attention but president bush noticed one elderly lady in a wheelchair in a hallway sitting by herself and paying no attention to what was going on around her and so he thought well here's a chance to do something personal so he walked over to her and he said good morning ma'am and he shook her hand and he said ma'am do you know who i am she said, no, sir, but if you ask at the desk over there, they can tell you. <laughs> Here, here's why I share that. Because sometimes we're like her. We don't recognize that God's right in front of us, and Jesus wants us to know that. So I wonder who it is that's near you that needs your help. I wonder who it is that's near you that you can share with. I wonder who you'll meet this week or find out about this week and and you'll think, gosh, I feel a tug in my heart to, to help. God says, when you do, you encounter me. You experience me. You serve me. Let me finish with a story. In 2007, an elderly man from Tucson, Arizona, showed up at one of those antiques roadshows. You know the drill. And actually... He only went because a friend of his who had some, some stuff he wanted to take and have assessed, the friend asked him for a ride because his car was in the shop. So he wasn't like all about it. He just had to give his buddy a ride. And so as he left his house, 
a little uh, uh, single-wide mobile home in Tucson. As he left his house, he glanced in the spare room and saw that old Indian blanket laying across the chair. It came out of his parents' attic. They said their grand, his grandparents gave it to them, and it had been sitting in there for a long time. And the room was kind of a junk room. He kept meaning to clean it up. But he thought to himself, man, it's pretty old. I'll just take it. So he grabs the blanket, goes and picks up his buddy, goes to the roadshow. You know where this is going. So he's standing next to his buddy, and he's not even, he didn't even sign himself up to have anything assessed. He's just standing with his friend, and, and his friend's stuff, the guy looks it over, not real impressed. And then suddenly, unexpectedly, the assessor says, what about that blanket you have there? The guy goes, well, I, I don't know. I brought it. It's been in my family for several generations. The guy examines it, inspects it. Turns out that that old blanket was the oldest extant hand-woven Navajo blanket in the country. <laughs> Woven in the 1840s, somehow came into his family and then lived in the garage in the spare room. And the assessor said, would, would you like to know what it's worth? <laughs> he thought to himself, wow, give my buddy a ride, make a few thousand dollars, outstanding, I'm in. He says, yeah, I would estimate its value today at half a million dollars. <laughs> So when he left the Antiques Roadshow that day, the blanket was not wadded up under his arm. It was in hermetically sealed plastic, and he was escorted by two security guards directly to a vault to put it at the bank. Suddenly, it became the most valuable thing he owned in the same way. When you and I give ourselves to serve and care for the poor and the needy and people in crisis, it will become the most valuable object we own. Not only in our own hearts, but ultimately in the heart of God. And he wants us to know that so that we will be the people who live differently. I said it was a special Sunday. Here's how. When you leave today, in just a moment, there are in the foyer three tables. And uh, we do this every year at MRCC. is Child Sponsorship Sunday. So each of those tables represents an opportunity. First, one of the tables is Compassion International. Probably many of us are familiar with Compassion. They've been doing Christian child sponsorship around the world for almost 80 years now, started after the Korean War. And uh, you can sponsor a child. When you sponsor a child, it's about $35, $40 a month. When you sponsor a child, then what happens is Compassion makes sure that that child's village has a, a school, a church, and that that child is fed every day. And as a sponsor, what you get to do is be part of their life journey. You get to write them letters. They write you letters. You get to stay with them as they grow up and then eventually graduate and move on in the world. Ron and I got involved with Compassion in 1985, and we've been doing it ever since. And we've gotten to watch kids grow up, and we have relationships with some of them. They go off and become servants of others. It's an amazing thing. So child sponsorship is not You can go out today to the Compassion table, pick a child anywhere in the world, and adopt them today, and then become a part of that journey. There's another table out there. It's called Mercy Reigns International. Now, Mercy Reigns is pretty cool because Mercy Reigns is a ministry in Uganda, in rural Uganda, one of the most under-resourced part of rural Uganda, that is led by Larry and Chad Travis right here at MRCC. They're part of our church. The ministry founded in Buckley. You, you say nothing good comes out of Buckley? Well, this did, all right? This did. And uh, you can sponsor a child in rural Uganda along the same lines, church, school, food, 
Uh, MRCC is regularly involved with Mercy Reigns. You, you know, at Christmas time, we provided food aid there. Uh, we made a very large donation to the building of the school, which is just being finished right now there. But we also have a lot of folks who sponsor kids there. And you can choose a child in Uganda and sponsor them. Same thing with the letters. And it'll be local connection with Larry and Charlotte. And then the last one. There's a third table out there. Now, this is the first year we've done this. But Paul and Becky Smith, also part of our church, have been heavily involved with a school in southern India called the Emmanuel School for Girls. And what it's all about is this. They, they rescue girls off the streets from the lowest ethnic caste, what's called the untouchables, if you know something about that part of the world. They rescue girls from the streets, bring them in, care for them, feed them, teach them a trade, a skill that will allow them to stay off the streets, a marketable skill. They teach them commercial sewing. And so this year, the Lord has led us to, into a partnership with Emmanuel. And here's what you, you could do today. You could go out, adopt one of those students. It's only a six-month commitment. So in other words, after six months, you're done. It's only $20 a month. But if you make that commitment, then that student will, upon graduation, be given a brand new commercial sewing machine so that they can begin work with the tools needed to begin work. So that's another opportunity out here. You don't have to go to a table. There's lots of ways to find the poor and needy, but God says in them, we will experience him. Now, I wanna pray, but I have to make one last proviso. This is the first year with the Indian Girls School. So uh, we only had 15 girls to sponsor. Um, after first service, we had zero girls left to sponsor. <laughs> And after second service, we have 40 people on a waiting list to sponsor. So we're gonna, we can cross all those T's and connect all those dots. So if you want to do the Indian Girls School, you can sign up. And Paul and Becky are going to work with the school to get more students sponsored. So you won't be able to take that student home today on a card. But in the next couple of weeks, month at the most, you, we'll be able to hook you up with them. So all those opportunities are out there. You won't regret any of them. Would you bow your head? God, we thank you for your teaching, for sending your son to teach us what's real, what's true, and that we encounter and serve you when we care for the poor, those in need, those in crisis. So God, open our eyes to recognize you. Help us to see you in each of our own lives so that we can love and serve you, so that we can experience you, and so that we can set free, be set free from fearing for ourselves. We ask that this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. The tables are there, but there's lots of opportunities. God invites us to encounter him. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love.